Thank you for listening to this podcast series as part of the artwork If I Knew Time as well as you do, part 2. My name is Eva Hounhout, artist and host for this series as part of my newest sculptural work made for Marine Terrein Amsterdam. Feel free to go to the sculpture and listen to the episodes while spending time with the work. The work you can find on the Marine Terrein next to building 22 from 26th of August 2021. For this second episode, I have invited artist Lisa Prince and Leila Durani to make the second contribution to this series. They are two collaborating artists who recently published a book titled Of Women and Other Weeds, as a space for stories of feminized and devalued labor. To introduce this book, they describe Although they aren't valued in the eye of profit, weeds will forever populate this earth. Dear Lisa, I'm sitting here with my cup of black tea with a dash of milk in it. I drink tea so often, it's easy for me to forget what tea actually is. I am drinking a cup of leaves that has been steeped in boiling water. Tea is a plant. That's so simple, but easy to miss when I dunk a tea bag into my water in the mornings. As you know, I've been studying plant-human interactions for the past few years. I've been trying to better understand how we humans relate to plants, as well as how plants have agency and communications of their own. Here, right in front of me, is one such interaction. I've been inspired in my research by Donna Haraway, who writes of our need to pay better attention to the non-humans around us. When we pay attention to those who are not human in our worlds, we may learn to, as she writes, live and die together in these times. She calls this staying with the trouble. I feel comforted by this when I read the news about flooding, disasters, and climate change. I cannot change or control what's happening around me, but I can try to stay with the trouble to pay attention to those involved in these events beyond my species. I drink these leaves every morning, and for most of my life I did so without even thinking about them as a plant, a living organism that was gathered up somewhere far from me and brought here to me after being processed. Anat Singh calls this salvage capitalism, when we don't know where products came from or what happened to them in the supply chain to bring them to us. I can't really say where this tea leaf came from, but I try to pay better attention to the fact that I am reliant on this plant. I am not some isolated, stoic human. Rather, I am part of a network of local plants and animals and community. But aside from my local network, I am also reliant on this plant, which has been part of my history and lineage. My grandfather was born and raised in pre-partition Pakistan, where tea was grown on colonial plantations. Drinking tea has been an act carried on from my ancestors to me here this morning. Staring out the window, drinking this tea from far away, dependent on it for comfort and alertness. I am never alone, really, now that I'm awake to the non-humans around me. I am also awake, too, to the supply chains that are so fraught with power imbalances that brought this tea to me. Best wishes, Layla. Dearest Layla, the letter you wrote to me was very touching. 
and it made me realize I've fallen out of habit when it comes to drinking tea. I've tried to get back into it in the last couple of weeks, because I know I used to love the dark, slightly bitter taste of the leaves in the morning, but somehow I cannot find the same joy and passion in drinking it anymore. I question myself as to why it is that my relationship to the drink has changed, and although I'm not entirely sure, I have a feeling it has something to do with the quickness of consumption, which you also touched upon in your letter. Once I'd understood this process in my psyche, I felt like I had to confront the elements that have made tea drinking into such a habitual thing. I mean, when did it lose its ritual? You said so yourself, you just dunk a tea bag into your water. The tea bag. Is that the evil that made tea drinking into the instantaneous practice it is today, lacking meaningful gesture or ceremonial advantage? Needless to say, it was a Westerner who came up with the idea, of the teabag that is, to push quicker individualized consumption. I want to introduce a short intermission in this letter, but I promise it will make sense later on. In the carrier bag of fiction, Ursula K. Le Guin retells the story of human origin by redefining technology as a cultural carrier bag rather than a weapon of domination. She asks if a spear was actually the first technology people invented, after they had been gathering for hundreds of years. They must have thought of bags before they, well, thought of spears. Or so Le Guin's argument goes. While hacking the linear progressive mode of the techno-heroic, the carrier bag theory of human evolution proposes before the tool that forces energy outwards, we made the tool that brings energy home. Our ancestors' greatest invention was the container, the basket of wild oats, the medicine bundle, the net made with our own hair, the home, the shrine, the place that contains whatever is sacred, the recipient, the holder, the story, the bag of stars. She then continues by saying that fictions should be like a carrier bag. Not the heroic stories of big men with their spears, but the little stories of children and women with berry containers and tea bags. I wonder if I can start to love or at least like the tea bag again, as a vehicle to think with, to tell stories with, to let our letter conversation unfold with. All my best, Lisa. Dear Lisa, thank you for sharing this beautiful carrier bag concept from Ursula K. Le Guin with me. It really got me thinking. How easy it is to fall into patterns of thinking around history that flatten it and take away the nuance. How easy to assume violence and a spear were the way we began as a species to build some sense of stability. When in fact there is so much more that was happening, so much tenderness so much care, between each other and other species. It reminds me of a photograph of a Latin American woman breastfeeding an orphaned lamb that went viral a few years ago. People were outraged she would feed a non-human, nourish it, but she was simply caring for a member of her community on whom she relied and who relied on her. I also think of my family when you wrote to me about this carrier bag. Our relationship to tea was informed by my grandfather, who drank tea at least once a day, usually three times a day. In our family, if you were going to make tea, you would always offer to put enough water in the kettle for everyone in the house. 
to ask, do you want some tea, was a way to show love and care. Everyone would gather in the kitchen and drink a cup together. We would sit and linger. It was a running joke in our family that anyone who asked, do you want some tea, was met with such an enthusiastic yes from the rest of the family, you'd think we'd been offered riches or security or a solution to all our problems. And in some ways, it was a temporary respite, a reprieve from stress and anxiety, a moment to sit together and joke and chit-chat. Masala chai, a feature in Pakistani homes, was invented by pre-partition Indian workers because the tea leaves were very expensive. Workers in India and now Pakistan would make it last longer by cutting it with spices. In our house, we often drink inexpensive Lipton tea every day and masala chai for special occasions. Tea was comfort and stillness. But it carries more complex histories. Pre-partition Indians were brutally exploited and forced to grow tea by the British Empire. These colonial wounds linger in my family's fixation on social approval, on doing things right. It lingers in the history of tea, which was once considered a foreign substance, controlled by the Chinese, until the British figured out how to exploit Indian land and grow it on plantations. Then, tea became a national pride, a thing to drink to prove your Britishness. And to try and be more Western, more white, became a fixation for Indians and Pakistanis grappling with internalized self-hatred and trauma post-independence. All this in a teacup. Nonetheless, when I drink tea, I feel soothed. It does make me feel I am carrying home some lineage, or carrying with me a connection to those who came before me, both the comfort and the sorrow. Whenever I see my mother, after months or even years apart, the first thing we do in the morning is sit with a hot black tea with a dash of milk. It feels like time slows down in those moments, but also loops together with all the other times she and I have sat with our kin, us, together with these plants. Sincerely, Layla. My dear Layla, it was so special to read about your family and the loving and caring way in which you shared and drank tea together. And I want to apologize for suggesting that the tea bag introduced quickness per se. You've beautifully shown me that they have not. I also wanted to come back to the tea bag as carrier bag, and that maybe the carrier bag can also be violent at times, even though it tells the less heroic story. There's still violence connected to the bag that brought tea to Westerners, to me. There's also violence in those years I was manically drinking tea, when I was underweight and desperate for something to keep me warm and energized, but without any calories. Those same Lipton tea bags you shared with your family drove me away from mine, by which I do not want to victimize myself, but I want to stress how tea bags, as carrier bags of fiction and nonfiction, can introduce such a lot of different stories. Stories that are complicated and entangled with other stories. Stories of hope and love that intersect with those of loss and disaster. Stories that might help us to stay with the trouble. Thank you for listening to this second episode. The series contributions are made by Flavia Dodon. Lisa Prince and Leila Durani. 
myself and Dionne Omer from Local Tea, and Bin Ko and Sumin Lee, who work together as Comfortball. The editing is done by Duncan Robertson. <laughs>